Welcome to Island Baptist Church's Bible study in the parables of Luke, Lesson 3. We're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 18. And like I said, these are not necessarily in order, and I think I misspoke last week. I said we were going to look at the one where uh, the, the parable that came out of the people seating themselves at a banquet, I believe I said last time, and that is not going to be till next time. Because this time, we're going to be looking at one here in Luke 18. In fact, the first six verses of Luke, the parable of uh, the woman with the unrighteous judge and uh, seeing what it has for us. Uh, we are indeed going to be taking a trip to Israel. We have, a scheduled tri- we have one scheduled for this fall, which is full and has a waiting list. And then we have another one scheduled for the fall of 2021. We're in 2020, right? Uh, and it's and I forgot to print it, honey. And we're not online right now, so I can't print it. But I will print it at the end, and I'll get it for you. So, so yeah, I know she's giving me a face back there. So it will be. I think it's. I think we're leaving October 25th, I believe, 2021, and we we'll back somewhere in the second, the middle, near the second week of of November. Uh, it is. Uh, it's a solid week trip, and you're. We, we're we're in the country. We're over there in anywhere from 12 to, 14 to 13 days with a flight day on either end. Um, it's a spectacular trip. We have a number of people in this room. You can ask them if they've been to Israel with us. They would be happy to tell you about that trip. It is expensive. The, the trip is, uh, well, any trip to Israel is expensive. I believe this trip is, the, the most recent one is $4,200, honey, just so you know, a piece. Uh, what that pays for is everything. Uh, that's your flight. That's your lodging. That's all your food. That's your passes into all the national parks. You don't need anything except for whatever money you want to spend on trinkets and um, olive wood uh, manger scenes and stuff like that. So um, I would encourage you to go. Uh, The trip isn't for everyone per se. It is an active trip. We've had people who are not very active go. And it just simply means that you can't see everything, but you are seeing more than if you did not go. And if the trip is big, like this coming fall, uh, we're, we have a big trip. We will split it up into a slow and fast group a lot of times. And the, the slow group doesn't get to do everything. We get to see a lot of stuff. Uh, even if you sat on the, the bus the whole time, you're still in Israel. I mean, you're still seeing. Like I said, your, your eyes are falling on the places where you've read about, dreamed about, thought about your whole life, if you're like me. Um, but uh, fast, the fast group gets to see most everything. And we will be in charge of this group. The last, the last trip we were on, we were not in charge. We, went, we, were, we were on kind of piggybacking with a, with a, a group from Bahamas, and so they kind of got to set the itinerary. And so they did some things. They, I mean, it wasn't a bad trip at all, but, but we, we have some things we particularly like to do, and so, which includes going into to Petra, uh, into, over into, into Jordan, and staying at, at Elot, which is the resort, southern resort city of, of Israel on the Red Sea. And so we'll stay there a night. We'll stay in a Bedouin campground for a night, which is pretty awesome. Right, Bob? Bob sang around, sat around, sang music on. That was great. We just have a great time out there. Just a full orb experience, to be sure. You see everything that you think Israel ought to be. Uh, I like going in the fall. I prefer the fall over the spring just because, to me, the spring is not what Israel ought to look like. Because in the spring, everything's blooming. It's all green. All the waters are running. Waterfalls are falling, and springs are flowing, and... Because like I said, they're, they're a feast and famine country. They get a lot of rain, and then they get no rain. So in the fall, you, you're at the end of a no-rain season. And so you get there, and everything is brown and dead. 
And in my mind, you know, all, my, all the biblical flannel graph scenes my, my Sunday school teacher put up in our class, it was not green over there, it was brown over there, and so I'm thinking that's what it is. So, and it's a great time to be there, too. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's, you get to see both, both sides of Israel. And having had the privilege to go on both ends is, um, well, it is indeed a privilege. So. so I would encourage you to go. We have some that are wanting to go twice, some that are wanting to, some that have been a number of times and still going. So um, it's an awesome trip if you can do it. Go while you can, <coughs> in case you've read the Bible. Things are not supposed to stay calm over there um, too awfully long. Um, maybe longer than they already should have. I don't, I'm not sure. So, All right, we're in Luke 18, and we're going to be jumping in to, I think you're going to find it to be a very interesting parable. So let's pray together and ask God to open our hearts to what he has for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that... Um, that you teach us through your word. Your Holy Spirit is the teacher. We thank you, Jesus, for these stories and the deep meanings that they carried for the people of that day and the deep meanings they carry for people today. We thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And we ask you, Lord, to do heart surgery on us. And, and we, Lord, we want to open ourselves up to you. We, we want to be right in the middle of your will. We don't want to be outside of it. We want you to be honored and glorified in us. Thank you so much for time we have together. Thank you for these good people and for their time, God. I pray that you'd bless them with uh, great understanding. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 18. I'm not even there myself, so. So, so Jesus is a master storyteller. He's a master of the simple story. And uh, this is a very simple story, just going to be six Six verses, actually we're going to read down through verse 8. But really the heart of it is just six verses. Um, uh, but but uh, what a master storyteller. I mean, just from, from the hip, uh, off the cuff, uh, when confronted by the Pharisees about hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors, he responds with a, with a trilogy of stories that uh, sets them, puts them in a corner and... Uh, displays their religion as, as a false religion. He could just do that, just, just like that. So what, what an amazing way he does things. And he does it quite often, you'll, we're going to see as we go through these parables, quite often he does it with great contrast. We saw the most unlikely situation where the son who had stayed home is the one that actually has no relationship with the father, and the son that went and threw his life away actually because of repentance can come back to the father. It's not what they thought. It's not what we thought. As I said before, there's going to be people in hell that you would not expect to be there, and there's going to be people in heaven that you would not expect to be there. In fact, you may be in heaven, not, somebody might be saying, how did you get here? <laughs> so, same way all everybody got here. And then, of course, the contrast that we saw last time of, of the uh, rich man and Lazarus. No, no one, I mean, their, their culture completely expected the rich man to go to heaven and completely expected Lazarus to not. So he, he flips everything around, and we're going to see a, a flip here. This is an extreme situation that he tells here, this uh, poor widow and this uh, unrighteous judge, as he's referred to here. So let's, let's, uh, let's read our story. It's not going to take us long, and then we'll spend the rest of our time taking, taking a careful look at it. It says, now he was telling them a parable to show at all times that they ought to pray and not lose heart. So that, what's the parable for? to show that you ought to pray and not lose heart. So the key to the door is hanging on the door. You got it. 
but don't but our problem is we we over we we assume too much i'm going to show you what i mean by that and part of the problem is right above that word that says now he was telling them you see that what's right above it in yours no right above it is chapter says chapter 18 doesn't it in yours chapter that word those words chapter the word chapter and the number 18 is a problem it's a problem it's a problem for us. It causes problems in our interpretation. We're going to see. Hang on, don't go to sleep. There was a, here's the parable. There was a certain, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God, did not respect men. Uh-oh. He's in power? No, boy, no. Not good. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the righteous judge, unrighteous judge said. You need to hear it. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Only two times a day, right? Day and night. And will he delay over them? The answer is, of course, no. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man, speaking of himself, comes, will he find faith on the earth? So he ends this thing kind of strangely, like a hanging sentence there. What's the whole issue with his coming? How does that relate to this parable? It seems like it ought to be separated from it. And, um, and unfortunately, because of our interpretation of this parable, we have separated from it because we don't see them as, being, as it being relevant. How, how does the second coming have anything to do with this, this lesson on prayer? Well, we're, like I said, don't go to sleep. So, so this judge was, uh, has a very simple, very well-chosen description. He is the worst a person could possibly be in this life. He has no respect for God. He has no respect for people. That is the worst a person could ever be. Woe be to you, you fall under a power of a person like this. It's terrible. They have nothing that you can pull on. They care for nothing except for themselves. They don't care about you. They don't care about anybody else. And they don't care about God. There's, you have nothing you can do with that person. There is no way to pull on that person. He's indifferent to the demands of God and the needs of people. He has no interest or care for the first and greatest commandment. What? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nor does he have any kind of care for the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the worst person that there is. He willingly, openly, confidently has no problem with breaking the two greatest commandments in the scriptures. He's the most wicked a person can possibly be. Hell, hell will be a place for a person like that. To be sure. Additionally, not only that, that he knows that he's this way. And he does not care. It, nothing about him says, I shouldn't be like that. Nothing. He, he doesn't care. He, 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 he self-describes himself that way. I know that I'm this way. He says that in his little soliloquy there as he speaks to himself. He self-describes himself and he sleeps well at night. No conscience. No moral compass whatsoever. Adding insult to injury, he's in a position of authority where he decides the fate of others and the justice of others, and he has no moral compass. Does that sound familiar, by the way? There's, 
Nothing new about elected officials with no moral compass. I want you to know that. It is always bad. It is always detrimental to society and to government. There is no government that can endure a person like this. You know, we're, you know, and I know we're, we're big on the republic and democracy and all this kind of stuff. I'm telling you, unless you have good people, it doesn't matter the system. They will wreck any system. They will destroy any system. It doesn't matter about our laws, guys, because they will not abide by them, and they will change them. And I, you know, I'm just preaching the choir here because aren't you watching that happen? I mean, that's what's happened. Like I said, it's the heart of the people. It's not the system. Now, we just said it before. You can have socialism as long as people are good. As long as people are good. Of course, we know they aren't. So don't ever have socialism. Heaven's going to be socialism, guys. Everybody's going to be good there. Eternity's going to be socialism. Not democracy. They won't be voting over there. It's going to be complete sharing and complete oneness. But listen, this is not heaven. Don't try to make it heaven. It's dangerous to think that it is and dangerous to think that people would ever act or think that way. Socialism is just an opportunity for for tyrannical government. That's all it is. It's my opinion. Not my opinion. I think it's easily proven. So, So a legal system only works properly one way, and that is that those who enforce it must interpret the law as they do in fear of God, and must see themselves as servants of the people. If they don't, it's terrible. Listen to what Jehoshaphat asked. He set up judges in the land. What, a, what an incredible, you know, talk about a, uh, if we could just have this happen in our government, I think it would fix a lot of stuff. Jehoshaphat said to the judges, consider what you're doing. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you, and be careful what you do, for the Lord our God will not part, not have no part in unrighteous or partiality or taking of a bride. If we had those kind of people in our government, we'd be great. See, it's not our, it's not our, it's not our form of government, and it's not our laws. We, say, we need to change laws, well, you know, the change of government. No. It's people. People are always the problem. And if you don't have good people, you can forget it. So, so there was a number of judges in the days of Israel that were just like this. In fact, it was a very familiar story. They would have been very familiar, even though this is a contrived story. It's put together by Jesus. It's not the actual, doesn't refer to any actual individuals per se. They, they would have all had in, in their minds some particular illustration of how this had played out in some, some situation. Except the, the, the extremes that he sends them to here are probably more than what they've seen. But they're familiar with at least some of these conditions. Uh, a number of the judges, not far from this uh, man's condition, who were in the days of Jesus. The people of the city of uh, that day, people of Jerusalem of that day, called them robber judges. It was, a, it was a Hebrew, Aramaic word they used for them. They were called robber judges because they would rob you. In fact, in the Talmud, it says that they, would, they were so corrupt that they would pervert justice just for a single meal. So they were easy bribed, easily led astray, and they were in power, and you couldn't do nothing about it, and they knew it, and... And just like this person, they didn't care. I don't know if you've traveled in Mexico. Don't, don't. Go, go to resort areas, but don't, don't just get in a car and drive into Mexico. I mean, not progresso, you're fine. But don't take off headed to Monterey or something like that. You're taking your life in your own hands. It, it's nothing new, by the way. It's always been that way. Mexico's been corrupt since the 1500s. Always because the corruption started, first of all, in the church, and then in the government, and it spread out to all the police and all the army and everything else. You get the right person in Mexico who's in authority, and the first thing he's going to want to know is how much money do you have on you. That's the way you get justice in Mexico. Cares nothing about you. 
has no fear of God. He only cares about himself. And again, it's uh, cor- corruption on, in, in every level and there's nothing new about it. it. Says here the word respect. He has no respect for men, no respect for God. It's such a crucial indicator of where this guy was. And um, this culture worked off of shame and honor, so does ours, if it works. It works off of shame and honor. We, we don't do things, certain things, because we would be ashamed to do them. You hardly ever hear that anymore, do you? And we do, we, we do other things because it was just the honorable. It was the right thing to do. No one was there to enforce it. There was something inside of us that said, that was wrong, I'm not doing it. I would have been ashamed to do something like that. Or there's something in this that says, I did it because it was the honorable thing to do. Anymore, you don't hear that. Any, hardly ever do you hear that, people acting off of those kind of things. A culture, if it lives, is based off of shame and, shame and honor. If it lives. If we, use, if we lose our shame, we got no more honor. And you get individuals like this. And this guy had no shame because he cared nothing about honor. You could not shame him in any way, uh, no matter what you did. He did not care about men, did not care about God. And again, when a wicked person like this gets in a level of power, uh, you're going to be in a world of hurt because he'll do whatever makes him feel good. He doesn't care a thing about you. So there's the wicked judge. Now let's get to the widow. This woman, of course, this is the worst a judge could possibly be, worst a person could be, and this woman is in the worst situation that she could possibly be. She is destitute financially. You hear no words, no money. She doesn't have it. She wouldn't have it. And also she's destitute because there's no man in her life. And anymore, women would say, yeah, that's what she's got going for you. Yeah, in our culture... But in that culture, without a man, ladies, you were in big trouble. It was a man's world. It still is a man's world. Travel the Middle East. Travel to any Muslim country, by the way, which are traditional Middle Eastern values. Traditional Middle Eastern values keep women down. You see a woman dressed in complete black at 105 degree temperature with just a slot to look through. You tell me when have, women have any say in a place like that. None. My aunt, the one I told you that ministered in the jail and baptized the guy and dropped him, she said, if I was over there, she said, it would be about a month before I killed my husband. She said, I'd just be in jail. So as soon as, as, soon as I had a hot flash at one of those black things, she said, I'd just go kill him. <laughs> You'd never hear the shot. <laughs> this woman, so, so as, as much as a woman today in a Muslim uh, um, Sharia law Muslim situation has no power, so, so a woman back in this day in the Jewish culture would have no power. The courts belonged to the men in those days. The men sat in the gates as elders. The men dealt with men in matters of justice. Women were not allowed, period. Unless she had no one else to go for her. So it automatically, again, the this is a cultural person, Jesus, speaking to cultural people. He doesn't have to tell them the things I'm telling you because they would have known automatically a woman wouldn't have been in the court system if she had had any man in her life. And what do I mean by a man? I mean anybody. Uh, husband, son, uncle, brother-in-law, nephew, any cousin, anybody. So the reason why she's in there by herself is because she had no one else. And by the way, they wouldn't have let her in until she proved that she had no one else. So she is completely destitute. She is powerless, helpless, deprived, lowly, unknown, unprotected, uncared for, the last person you would ever expect to get justice, especially when you consider who she's up against. So the two most 
two extremes here. Extremely corrupt and extremely powerless people. And these two are colliding in this culture, in this story. She has no hope to get sympathy from this judge. Jesus is painting very extreme pictures here, just in a minimal, just an economy of words. He's painting such an extreme picture and making such a profound point. So here's her ploy. What is it? Verse 3. She just keeps coming back. It's all she's got. She is allowed in because she has no other options, and because she's allowed in, that's what she does. Every morning, guess who he sees? He sees her. Nothing to sway him. She has no pull either in his conscience or fear or shame or guilt. There is absolutely nothing. And what is the result? What does it tell us there in verse 4? For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, notice it's a soliloquy. He's just speaking to himself. It's very similar to the story we have of the, the prodigal son. The prodigal son is down there eating hog slop. And what does it say? It says he says to himself, he, he comes awake and says, wait a minute, my, my father's sir, uh, the the hired men are, are doing better than this. I'll go back and hire myself out to my father, and I'll tell my father I was wrong. And anyway, the same kind of soliloquy that takes place here, this guy just has a conscience thought for himself. And by the way, again, he doesn't care, has no regard for God, has no regard for people, but he does have regard for himself. And uh, he says here, she will wear me out. It's the same term that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, where he says, I buffet my body. It's a boxing term. She just keeps boxing my ears with this issue constantly. And the word that he uses here is a very interesting word. Um, the, the word continually there, she continually comes. It literally, the, the Greek literally says forever. She's going to keep coming forever, boxing my ears over this. This woman was painful to him. So this powerful, wicked judge is defeated by a powerless woman through her persistence. It's an incredible parable, right? And such, such great applications in and we have um, not misinterpreted this parable, but we have missed some of the interpretation of this parable. Of course, easily interpreted if we just simply read verse 1 of chapter 18, which says, Now, he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Pray about what? See, we assume that that applies to all prayer, and, and I'm not saying that it doesn't. That's not a bad interpretation but you have missed some of the interpretation if you think that's what he's saying. This is in a context. We take this parable and we just pull it out and we hang it on our wall. We don't do that, but we pull it out and we tell it, we preach on it without considering the context. What's the context of this? Do you know? The context is the whole book of Luke, first of all, but it is, it is what Jesus was just previously saying. He's been leading up to this parable by what he's been teaching in the previous chapter. Like I said, uh, the a bad part of this Bible, in some cases, is the chapter breaks. They can be arbitrary. They can even be, in this, like in this case, they can be misleading. Because when we get to the chapter break between chapter 17 and chapter 18, we assume there's a change in thought, there's a change in scenery, there's a change in mood, there's a change in situation. And guess what, guys? There's not. It is just one diatribe from Jesus on telling a story and he goes from he goes from this teaching right into this parable so we need to know what he's teaching up here back in chapter 17 so let's go take a look so what what particularly is he talking to pray, pray about of course this applies to all prayer but actually the 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 immediate application is a very specific prayer and it's the reason why down in verse 8 why we can't imagine why he's talking about why is he talking about his second coming well if you read the context you put your finger over chapter 18 the, the chapter breaks were put in there some 400 years after these books were written. 
They were just put in there for the convenience so we could find our way around as we taught the Bible. And there's nothing, that's fine. The intent was fine. It's just that sometimes they create problems like, like we're, we're seeing today. So verse 22, chapter 17. Take a look back there. And first of all, in verse 22, answer the question, who is he speaking to? Who's speaking? Secondly, who is he speaking to? And thirdly, what is he speaking about? Verse 22. Now some of you have a heading there that says, his second coming, right? And that actually is what he's talking about here. Now, he said to the disciples, the days shall come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples about what? About what's happening after I leave. You think it's tough while I'm here? He said, it's, gonna, it's like a cakewalk compared to when I'm gone. You're going to have it rough. They will say to you, he jumps immediately to the end. Not, not, not tomorrow, but all the way to the end, this, this end times events of the things that are going to be taking place. And they will say to you, look here, look there. Do not go away. Do not run after them. For just as the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will be the Son of Man in his day. What does that mean? So I don't know. Have you ever been out? You know, if the, if the lightning flashes, nobody's got to tell you, do they? When the lightning flashes, everybody knows it. So if lightning flashes here in Port Isabel, people in Brownsville, they know it. We see the same lightning. It's like the moon in the sky. Nobody has to tell you, well, there's the moon. Well, of course there's the moon. I saw it where I was. You see it where you're from. It comes up in Canada. It comes up in the United States. It comes up in Texas. It comes up every single night. Lightning, when it flashes, can be seen from a long, great distance. So effectively what he's saying is, is when I come back, nobody's going to have to tell you. If they have to tell you that I'm here, then, I'm, then it's not me being here. He says, they're going to say, over here, look over there. He says, don't go with them. He says, it's going to be so evident to everyone that you're not going to need, there's no news. You're not going to need to hear the news because it's just going to be, it's going to be abundantly clear. Again, his second coming. But first, before all that happens, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it happened in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. So like I said, he jumps all the way to the end again. What was it like in the days of Noah? People had no idea the end was near. And then boom, right? It goes on. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as it happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, drinking, they were buying, selling, planning, and building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. So one day to the next, completely different situation. So it's going to be immediate, it's going to be fast, it's going to be unrecognizable by most, and it's going to overcome them. It'll be just the same as the day of the Son of Man when he's revealed. On that day, let not the one who is in the housetop with his goods on the house go down and take away. And likewise, let not those who are in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife? What did she do? She delayed a little bit and got in trouble permanently. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed, one taken, the other will be left. It's, by the way, the context says it's not, that's not a rapture situation. I know we've heard it that way in their songs that we've talked. Yeah, that's actually a judgment situation. So it's so half the people are dying or being judged. Half. One taken in judgment, one not. Two women in, in the field grinding in the same place, one taken, the other not. Half. Two men were in the field, one will be taken, the other half, you see, gone. So it'll be bad, what he's saying. And he, and he, he puts a puts an exclamation point on it by what he says here in verse 37. Answering them, he said to them, where, Lord? In other words, taken where? Notice it's not a good thing where they're taken. He says to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be. We've got some ranchers in here. 
Um, you got a dead cow in a pasture, how do you know? Go out and look, and there's a bunch of buzzers on that fence post over there. Buzzers don't sit together unless they've got a good reason to. That's where that old cow is. Right, this, what he's saying about it, they're taken, taken where? He says, because, to a place of judgment, to a place where they're going to rot, and stink, and be eaten by buzzards. That's not a good thing. That's not rapture. I said, we've kind of taken that out of, again, the context here. We've, that's the context. So, but more importantly, is not the teachings about the second coming as much as what Jesus goes into. Notice, put your finger over chapter 18. That was just added later. This is same audience, same situation, same story, same thrust. Jesus tells the parable about the woman. So now with that in mind, he says, telling them the parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Pray about what? About his coming. About the end. Oh, well, the Bible doesn't say we should pray about Jesus' coming, does it? Does it? Any Catholics here? I know I've got one. Where are you, sweetie? I see you back there. Got a couple Catholics. This little, uh, I forgot your name, ma'am. What's, Mary. Mary, how long, that's a very Catholic name. Where, <laughs> how long, you've been coming to this church as long as I've been here, I know you have. Yeah, she's faithful, very faithful. We, you know, we love everybody here, Catholic, everything else. I, I can tell you, that little Catholic can tell you uh, 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 Protestants, we, we don't we don't like the we don't like the the Lord's prayer because it's a Catholic prayer, and, and I just and I'm not I'm broad generalizations. Catholics tend to tend to major on that prayer. We tend to get away from it because we're, well, we don't want to be like the Catholics and pray the Lord's prayer, even though Jesus told us to. Even though it's and I better better called not the Lord's prayer but the model prayer. Do you pray the Do you model your prayers after what Jesus said? Here's here's. Um, let me see if I, I've got it up here. I jump ahead to it. I got it somewhere. I know. The model prayer? Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So praise God first. Your first prayer request ought to be what? Your kingdom Come, did you pray that the kingdom of God would come today in your prayers? What are you doing then? Because you're not doing what he told you to do. Because notice, again, the first, the first rattle out of the box, if you're following his model, and I would suggest that you should, is to pray that his kingdom come and that his will will be done on earth. It, don't we want that? I mean, aren't you sick of the way things are? And are we not? We're not Republicans here. We're not Democrats. We're monarchists. The king, you see, and the kingdom that's got to be in focus. And guys, if it ain't, then you're not right. Your head's not on right. You're not biblical. Because there's our Savior telling us. And we're not doing it. And I, you know, I'm, of course, I preached this back in, um, I think, September. And I got really upset at myself because I wasn't very good at doing that either. So now that I've been good at it for four or five months, I can really come down on you people. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are terrible. Holy cow. Drag you out in the street and lynch you. <laughs> why? Why? 
You know, and, and the Catholics, the, you know, not, not to take the, you know, jump on all the Protestants and the Catholics do, you know, the Catholics are pretty faithful at praying this prayer. Do they really mean it? You know, it's not, not a matter of mutter, muttering words, and, and I think we all know that. It, it's a, but it's a matter of focus, and notice what he's focused on. I mean, that's not the first thing I ask for, typically. First thing is that when I go to pray, I've got a lot of stuff that I think is important, you know, in my life. Guys, that's the most important thing that's going on in our world, that his kingdom would come. And if our focus isn't there, then we can't, we not set correctly in what ought to happen on our day-to-day basis on what ought to happen in our lives. And I'm, I'm going to demonstrate that to you here. But, but first of all, just several things. Uh, it, so it's not the passion of our praying. Jesus, it was for Jesus. And it was the instruction he gave to his churches. And it was indeed. They took him seriously. You read the New Testament, which I would encourage you to do. You look at the hearts of the people, the way they prayed, their wishes, their mindset. It was just like Jesus said it ought to be. And as much as we're not like them, we ain't right. Here, 2 Peter 3, 12 through 14, look how much, look, look how much it consumed the way they spoke and, and what they taught. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who, uh-oh, mm-mm, hang on. That's all the way in 2 Thessalonians. I'm already, I skipped way ahead there. That's not it? That is it. Since these things, the whole world, everything in it, are to be destroyed in this way. Did you know that? You need to know that. If you don't know how it's going to end, you don't know how to live till it ends. You just don't. What sort of people ought we to be? So there's, there's, there's something about knowing how it's going to end that changes the way I am. And if I don't know how it ends, or if I don't have a focus on how it ends, then that's going to mess with who I am. Can we agree on that? What sort of people ought we to be because we know how it's going to end? Well, in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening and coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. I read that as uh, uh, nuclear uh, fission, uh, but not nuclear bombs in case you want to know what I think. But anyway, not that that matters. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Notice, looking because of his promise, this is the focus. If it's not the focus, listen, guys, we're off. You are off. If that is not your focus, now that is your primary thing. This is what's going to happen. The king is coming, the, the end. You know, our Christian life is lived in reverse, lived with reverse engineering. Christians quite often don't know what or where they're going. I mean, when you travel somewhere, how do you plan to travel? I know, you know most of you guys are retired, and so you just kind of get up and take off in a general direction. And we get there in three days, we get there in four days. Back in the days when you were like me and had a schedule, had to be back at certain times, how did you travel? Well, you set a mark, going to a certain place. Let's say here we are in South Texas, we're going to L.A. Well, we can't go to Nashville. It's not on the way. We only have a week. We can't make it, and we don't have a limited supply, unlimited supply of money, so we can't go to Nashville. And Nashville's a nice place, but that's for another trip. We're going to L.A., we need to plan El Paso, we need to plan San Antonio, we need to plan Phoenix, uh, um, uh, some, something like that, because that's on the way. You see what I'm saying? So we can plan our trip, and we can do little excursions, but an excursion that we can't do is Nashville. Can we agree? Because we know where we're going. Now, if you don't know where you're going, then I guess the world's your options, but if you've got limited time and you've got limited money, you're going to wind up not doing not what, exactly what you thought you were going to do. And you may get way out there and get stranded because you run out of gas money and run out of food and you're in trouble. You've got to call somebody and have them wire your money. And that may be the way you lived. I don't know. Not the typical way people drive. 
But a lot of Christians are driving their life that way. They don't got no idea where they're headed. They got no view of the end. And so they do not know how to prorate their time, money, energy, efforts, which by the way are all limited. And they're kind of living out there willy-nilly by the seat of their pants. And uh, the return of Christ and the effect that it's going to cause has no, has no real effect on their lives. And it's just uh, amazing. Again, when we know how it ends and we keep it in view, we know how to prorate our time, money, energies, and opportunities, which are limited. How we handle our lives day to day should be powerfully influenced by the conclusion. Powerfully influenced. So if it's not in our view, that's why Jesus set it up at the first thing you pray for. The first thing you ask for is that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is currently being done in heaven. I don't know if you noticed, it's not being done down here. Jesus owns this place, but he's not exercising his authority over this place in the way that it will be exercised. You see, Jesus is creating kingdom, is he not? But it's internal now. But it is just a prelude to an external kingdom that's going to be on this earth, of which you're going to be a part of if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That is inevitability, as inevitable as it was for him to hang on the cross and die to pay for your sins. He paid not only for your sins, he paid to purchase the whole world. He is going to come. He's going to remove the world of it from its usurpers. And he's going to institute a kingdom, which, like I said, is not democratic and not republican. It's, it is going to be a monarchy in every way. You have to have the end in view. If a wicked judge, and here's the story, and that's, here's, the, here's the application. We are, the, in a sense, this, this widow in this world. We are defenseless. We don't have anything in our favor. We have no power, seemingly, at least in ourselves. We have no power. We live in a wicked world full of wicked judges. It shouldn't shock us. But, but the ultimate judge is not like this one, is he? No, he's not like that. In fact, he will. He's not a wicked judge. He's not, he's not uh, heartless. He, he loves us unconditionally. He longs to help us. And so when we cry out to him, by the way, how often does it say we should cry out to him? Verse 7? Only two times a day. Day and night. Is that how you're doing that? So I tell you, I'll, verse 8, I will bring justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I think, I think already we're having this problem. We're, we're just kind of losing our faith, our, our way, our direction, because we don't really know. We really don't have a perspective on, on how things are going to go. We can't live, again, our lives the way the Lord wants us to unless we live it in light of the second coming. Cannot. And, and again, illustrated over and over again in the Scriptures. Um, here, here's another, just, 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 just to see the heart of the people of this day and how they felt about the end times. The creation itself also will be, Paul, this is Romans chapter 8, set free from its slavery to corruption and the freedom the glory of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers in pains of childbirth until right now. Did you know that? It's right there in your Bible. Now, for all the sake of the, all the men here, ladies, what was childbirth like? You want to know why the world, it seems like to be in convulsions? Because that's what he said it would do. That's what he said. And by the way, childbirth goes like this. It starts off not so bad. I was fishing, I don't know. I was told. <laughs> I was there, honey. I know. Starts off not so bad. Uh, pains are kind of far apart. And then the pains get greater and they get closer, greater, closer, greater, closer, greater, closer. Whammo, you get a baby. That's, you know, things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse because the world is in travail. The world is, tra is travailing. 
and it's going to give, a, there's going to be a catastrophic birth in this world. It's coming. And not only this, but we also, who ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons. If we're not waiting eagerly, we're not groaning, and we're not, we don't have the right perspective. The redemption of our bodies. It's what we should be longing for. For in this hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is no hope, is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait for it eagerly. Notice that's, that was their perspective. We eagerly are waiting this coming, this, this redemption, this, this finality, this completion of all the things that Christ has done, eagerly awaiting this, the redemption that we've experienced in our souls to also take place in our physicality and the physicality of the world that is around us. Uh, listen to how Paul ends his letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, uh, let him be accursed. Amen. And then how, what does he say? Oh, Lord, come. Is his heart's call. Is that your heart's call? See, the New Testament church of modern day has gotten away from that. We think it's weirdos that do that kind of stuff. I guess you thought Paul was a weirdo. He was all in his letters. Peter's letters, John's letters. They were all big on this stuff. Really, really big. It, it, it colors... It colors the way we pray. We've already seen this. It should. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it, it colors the way we pray. It comforts. There's comfort in it. Here's second, second, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who fall asleep, pass away in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. He's coming. Will not precede those who have fallen asleep, that's passed away in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then he who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these. There's a great comfort in that, but if you don't really know it, if you don't think it really matters, you're just kind of picking and choosing what you like to believe in the scriptures, well, you, you're missing out on a lot. Tremendous. It brings us, brings us comfort, brings us purification in, 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 our, in our actions. Beloved, now we are children of God, currently. You trust in Christ, that's what you are. But it has not yet appeared, or it has not yet appeared as yet, what we will be. What is that talking about? Your resurrection. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Do you know he's coming? If that's not your focus, then this won't happen to you. Because we will see him just as he is, or at least the, the current effect of it won't, won't, be, uh, won't be anything for you. For everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he's pure. You've got a purity problem, you've got a focus problem. So if we don't have the right focus, <laughs> you know, if you don't think dad's ever coming home, well then you tear the whole house up, don't you? That's the way kids are. Dad could be home any moment. Kids tend to be well behaved. Pick up your stuff. Wipe that paint off the wall, whatever it is. <laughs> because dad, when he gets home, he's going to be, he's going to be problems, going to be reckoning. So he who has this hope purifies himself. And if we don't, we don't, you see. Uh, and we are driven also to reach others for Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Is that a perspective you have? So each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. They're not, they're not smart enough to fear God, so we fear them for him. 
and we talk to them. We witness, we share, we invite, we care, we reach out. We're there when no one else is. Circumstances go, when life goes south on them, we're there. The Christian life, listen, is lived properly through reverse engineering. You have to have a perspective on the end, and it's got to be solid so that you can know how you can currently live and prorate your time and energies and opportunities, like I said, which are limited. So, so here's the finished product. Here's where we're headed. You're headed to a redeemed soul. You're already redeemed by soul, I hope. But you're also headed to a redeemed body. You're going to be in the presence of the sovereign Lord permanently, who is reigning as king forever in a new heaven and a new earth, where righteousness only is the option. You've never seen like that. You've never had a day like that in your personal life where you've only been righteous. Not one day. Have you? I'd be amazed. I know I haven't. I don't trust anybody that thinks they have. What, what, matter, uh, what matters at that time is what we've served and who we've served. Wickedness has been judged eternally and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and every intent of the heart has been revealed and answered and from that perspective we reverse engineer. Because we know how it's going to end. This is where we're headed. This is the end result. These are where the, market, the market's headed there, guys. Invest wisely. Invest wholeheartedly. It's going. It's headed. You like roller coasters? <laughs> Have you ever seen that picture? I think it's awesome. So we got this little kid, and I'm just assuming his mom. And they're both on the same ride, but their experiences are different. Right? She's having, it looks like, a pretty good time. He is near the end of his life. Right? What if... Here, here's, here's another one. The, girl, the girl's in the front. Look at the girl in the top left. It's over. These are having a great time. She's, you know, at the end of her life. This, this one's also good. You got... We got mom over here with her eyes shut. This little girl with her eyes open and man... What a face. You come down the roller coaster and they always take your picture and they want to sell it down at the bottom. Anybody here like to ride roller coasters? Like to ride roller coasters? I like to ride them. I've gotten too old for them because they, they beat the heck out of you. I just come out with a neck injury or back injury invariably, so I just off of them. My grandkids, my kids haven't had any, grand, any kids yet, so the grandkids are going to have to ride with somebody else. Grandpa's going to stay at the bottom and hold their drinks and stuff, but... What, what if you had never heard of a roller coaster and had never been on one and had no idea what it was? And they just took you through this little winding line and they went up to this little barn and there was a little train sitting in front of you, two, city of two by two. You had no idea what happened because, because the tr little train rolls into the barn very slow and it rolls out of the barn very slow and so you're just thinking, I'm getting on a little train. Nobody tells you, you've never heard of this, you've never been there before, and then you get on the little train, and it goes out of the barn and makes a right-hand turn and hits about 70 miles an hour, 
and starts doing the loops and the falls and the all kinds of stuff. You're going to be just like this little girl right here. That is going to be you. Because it is not what you thought it would be. On the other hand, if you've been and you know how it ends, those things are safe. I mean, I know occasionally people get killed on most people because they're breaking the rules. It's not because the thing breaks because they, you know, they're, they're out of the seat or they get out unseat belted or they're not the right size or, you know, these kind of things. If you know how it ends, you can ride like this girl, can't you? And life is, as they say, a roller coaster. We have a unique perspective compared to our whole world. We know how it ends. They are all like this boy right here. And I'm telling you, according to the Bible, it's gonna, it, that's a, he's having a cakewalk compared to what our world's headed to. We're headed rapidly into it. Our world's looking at us and saying, what's happening? You should know. You should already have been praying about it. Faithfully, knowing that the God who is not like this judge, uh, even though you may feel like this widow who is helpless, but no, night and day, God, come. God, make this right. God, fix this place. God, save these people. Now we pray, you know, it says there, we didn't read all of Second Peter, but it says there, because we know, know this, we, uh, but, but God's delay is based upon his fact that he wants none to perish but all to come repentance. We're, we're, we're reaching out to them saying, don't you know, listen, the ride is going to get worse. And the end is even worse. You don't get to get off. It just goes right off the end. For those who don't know him. Since, since we know how it ends, you see, with, with the, since we know where the ride is headed and how it's going to go for those who belong to him, then we can ride it just like this. In fact, we can ride it as evangelists. Like this girl could turn around and say, listen, guys, it's going to be great. Trust the one who's in charge. Trust and believe in him as they go off a big drop, you know, as they go around the big loop and 75 miles an hour. You know, but our world is vexed and they're, they're anxious because of this. So we should have, don't always do, we should have a very different perspective on life if if we have a view to the end as it says here if we see that's why he says you know those who cry to him night and day i tell you he will bring about justice for them speedily however when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth we find the faithful who have lost their faith who've lost their perspective who've lost what's what's really going on and how things are going to go uh how they're going to end um uh, for those of us who belong to him and for those of us who, who don't. Now, we're the mouthpiece for that. We're the one who brings that message to the world. Now, I was not sending angels to do that. It's us. We got his word. We have his Holy Spirit. We have a mission. We need to do it. Stop right there. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for um, teaching us. We thank you, God, for your word and just how we can have no fear of digging deep into it and uh, seeing how rich it is, uh, how powerful a storyteller Jesus you were when you walked this earth and how powerful you can be in us. Lord, you say that we have the mind of Christ and we have your spirit, Lord, and, and we're called to um, a very special place in this world. And um, the roller coaster of life is moving forward and people are losing their minds and and uh, we're supposed to be even more stable, even as we see the things go exactly like you said they would go. And uh, give us power as we witness. Give us confidence, Lord. Help us to uh, purify ourselves because we know what's coming. Help us to prorate our time and money, energies and opportunities. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.